Hey loves, just want to give you a quick trigger warning about this week's episode. We are talking about mental health. There are mentions of suicide, suicidal ideation, and other such triggering topics such as self-harm. If you are not in the headspace to hear this episode or hear about these topics, please just skip this one and come back for us next week. We love you. Please be soft with yourself. Also, this episode was recorded while Yasmin and I both are in quarantine, uh, so that's why our audio sounds a little funky in comparison to our other episodes. We promise to have good, crisp audio for you as soon as possible. Thanks for understanding. And now, on with the episode. Welcome back, lords, ladies, and lovelies, to Black Girl Tea Party. I'm Aaliyah Dorsey. And I'm Yasmeen Hill. First things first, let's get right into the brew. Aaliyah, what's brewing it for you out there in the world? Earlier this week, former Florida gubernatorial candidate Andrew Gillum came out as bisexual. And to be honest, there's like a lot to the story surrounding like his coming out and like why he came out. Um, and we really don't have the time to unpack all of that this episode, but I just think, you know, it's coming out is really hard and finding yourself is really hard, especially doing that as a black man is really difficult. Um, and so I just really want to send him some like love and light and understanding because it's been like, I've seen like articles about it and people on social media aren't the kindest. Um, so you know, sending him good vibes, especially because there aren't a lot of queer people, especially queer queer people of color in government right now. So, you know, big ups to him. If I had like heard about him when I was a teenager, I would have like really needed that at the place that I was in my life. So, you know, love and light and understanding to him. Um, But also this week was New York Fashion Week and girl, I love me some Fashion Week. Um, right, like, I didn't see all of the coverage, but, um, one of my favorite designers, Christian Siriano, um, I saw pieces from his collection, and I was in love, I was in love, um, it was really good, I can't wait to, like, look at the rest of the collections, because there weren't, like, a lot of, um, like, big name designers this year, because they were all digital, um, and so there weren't, like, a lot of, like, you know, kind of, not, not to say big name, I mean, like, um, kind of old staples of Fashion Week, because they were digital, but I think it was really a good way to, like, keep this kind of event that is annual alive, you know, because Fashion Week decides, like, what we're gonna be wearing for the next year, and so I'm just, just, I just love Fashion Week, and I love fashion, um, and I'm really, I really love the, the pieces that I did see, they were all gorgeous, I wish I could wear all of them, but I'm a broke bitch, so, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> yeah, but, you know, love me some Fashion Week, um, yes, mean, what's brewing for, well, I wanted to talk about my good sis and U.S. Open title winner, Naomi Osaka. Uh, The other day, she won her third Grand Slam title. 
But I think another huge part of this victory for her is that um, in the matches leading up to her win, she was wearing seven different masks um, honoring black victims of racial violence. Um, And so there was a lot of like, after she'd won, people were asking her like why she made that choice and why um, she wanted to wear the masks. And she said that I feel the point is to make people start talking. So, you know, I love when people use their platforms to like talk about important things and things that are, uh, you know, that they're passionate about. I know that she was also really vocal like this past summer and when she received like criticism for being vocal about racial violence and police brutality um, with people just telling her to like, you know, only worry about sports. I, um, I think it's really important that she used her platform to be like, no, this is important. This is what I'm going to talk about. So it's like, you know, you want to profit off of the black body all the time, but, but here I am wanting to say something important, like honoring these victims. And I just think, um, I don't know. I think it was a good choice. I think it was, um, if the point was to like get people to start talking, I think that that was accomplished. So shout out to my good sis, Naomi Osaka. Um, and with that, yes, I know. I know. Like she's the greatest. And then did you see the picture um, that she posted after she um, had won? She was wearing, like, traditional Haitian garb. And, um, yes, she was really, like, proud. I did see that. Yeah, and so I really like that she is not afraid of her culture or anything like that or, like, being ostracized because of it. She's like, no, this is this is it, y'all. What a queen. <laughs> I know. I know. Um And with that, we are done brewing, and it's time for tea. Um, But this week, we will be discussing Black mental health, um, which is especially important right now in the middle of a pandemic, and also um, important because of what this summer brought us with the myriad of protests that are actually still going on in multiple cities, as well as the many instances of police brutality and Black death that happened over the summer and the world just kind of realizing the true brevity of racial injustice in this country. I think you're exactly right. Like, um, I think it's good that conversations surrounding police brutality and, you know, systemic racism overall. Um, I think it's good that like those conversations are happening on a larger scale, but like the, the constant sharing and reposting of, black trauma and death, the, all of the groundwork, like physically being at um, protests and uh, stuff like that, demonstrations and such, um, that can lead to like a very specific type of exhaustion for black people um, that I don't really think we talk about a whole lot. So in an article from The Root published Thursday, Jasmine Pierce, creator of the mental health app, The Safe Place, talked about how she's seen an increase in app usage due to um, COVID and the social unrest that we're seeing really unfolding. So Pierce, who has struggled with her own mental health issues, created the app with Black people in mind in order to aid conversations around mental health and decrease the stigma because with in the Black community, I think talking about mental health is really like, it's just something that you don't 
do. And I'm not sure if like that's your experience, Aaliyah, but I definitely think that there is a stigma surrounding mental health because of, I think what, what that means, you know? Oh yeah, most definitely. Like I, I didn't start going to therapy until I got into college and suddenly had to realize all the things that I was bottling up inside. So Pierce said that, quote, I'm glad that my community has something like this because I don't think any of us really saw a year like this coming and our mental health is more important uh, than ever now. We have to take care of ourselves. And so I think even that notion of people recognizing like, hey, there's a lot of stuff going on that is like directly infected, uh, directly affecting um, like black people. So we have to shift or change something to be able to really prioritize our mental health and take care of ourselves. And so I think um, creating like this app, which I haven't used it before, but honestly, I might start. Um, I think creating this app like specifically with black people in mind is a pretty like interesting development, especially because like Pierce has had her own struggle with mental health issues. And so I think her perspective on what that means and like what a certain individual like may need. Um, I think all of the resources like um, are there. And I think that that is like a, a good development, like socially that we're moving towards. Right. Right. Actually, let's get into the, the numbers of black mental health. So in an article by mental health America, it says that black and African-American people living below poverty are twice as likely to report serious psychological distress than those living over two times the poverty level. Also, black adults and African-Americans are more likely to have feelings of sadness, hopelessness, and worthlessness than adult whites. And also, black and African-Americans are less likely than white people to die from suicide at all ages. However, black and African-American teenagers are more likely to attempt suicide than white teenagers. And so the percent breakdown is 9.8% versus 6.1%. And so like even adjusting for like population that's those are both still incredibly large numbers but there is like an incredible disparity there and like also a lot of that from my I say from my own experience is probably due to like poverty and racism are both incredible types of violence and I think in considering I am a person who has lived under both of those um I think it's just no wonder that you feel all of those feelings um, about like suicidal ideation and also about feelings of hopelessness from that. Um, in more stats, according to the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, 16% of the 4.8 million black, black, black Americans reported having a mental illness and 22.4% of those um, of another like 1.1 million people reported serious mental illness over the past year. And so that survey was from 2018 uh, to for uh, context. Also, serious mental illness rose among all ages of Black people between 2008 and 2018. So there is, according to the numbers, a very serious issue um, of mental health kind of in the Black community. Like it's happening, but we're not super duper talking about it. Yasmeen, um, do you want to talk about what your experience is 
with mental health and like with mental wellness have been? Oh, geez. How much time do we have? Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's really hard. And I think the the stigma surrounding talking about mental illness, because it can present itself in multiple forms, I think really um, stopped me from realizing like what was actually happening because I've had um, like diagnosed anxiety for years. I think I um, first started like talking to my doctor and stuff about that when I was 17 years old. Um, but when I think back about my <laughs> preteen life, I was, you know, uh, showing behaviors that like signaled that I had really severe anxiety for a long time. And I didn't even really have the the rhetoric or the understanding to be able to articulate that that is what was happening to me um, or like that that was what I was experiencing. So it's like all of the pressures of, you know, just life. I was raised by a single mom. I went to a predominantly white um, high school. So it's like all of those things um, working together. And so I, you know, I started taking meds when I was like 17 years old and I had like a really, I don't know, I haven't had like a good experience with um, medication in that way because I still, um, you know, I still have anxiety all the time. So it is something that I don't want to say like I had to come to terms with, but I think we all just have to like make decisions every day to like take care of ourselves. So it's like if I'm feeling um, a certain kind of way, I'm like, oh, okay, let me exit the situation or, you know, what am I doing or what can I be doing to, like, feel a little bit better? I don't know if that makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah. And then um, just because, like, of some other things that were happening in my life, I more recently had, um, yeah, I was diagnosed with severe depression and that was I don't know, I, that was hard because before, like, my, like, doctor said those words, it's like in my mind I knew that that's how I was feeling. But I think describing it like that or, like, hearing myself be described like that was, like, pretty jarring. And so, you know, I was, you know, I was feeling, like, very worried and hopeless all the time and I didn't you know I knew that I was depressed but then actually like hearing that was yeah I can't think of another word it was pretty jarring like oh gosh and then I had to get over um the idea that there was like something wrong with me or like that I would be in that mental state for the rest of my life um so now I'm just you know you got to take every day one day at a time. I'm trying to like have a a solid like routine because I feel like that will make me less stressed out during the day if I like have solid um you know benchmarks that I'm supposed to reach or you know something like that. So <sighs> yeah, yeah, no, I feel that. Like uh, like full disclosure, like I didn't realize that I had depression until I got to college and when I started going to therapy for the first time like regularly like quite literally my therapist like maybe my um what was it it was like my second semester of my freshman year I was in therapy 
and she was like I just think maybe we should like consider that you might have depression and I thought she was a liar I literally looked at this lady like she had grown like three heads I was like you can you're not talking about me I most definitely do not have depression because I thought about it as like you kind of need to have like the suicidal ideation or the suicidal thoughts to have depression when in reality it's kind of like depression is that but it's also like the negative thoughts it's the about yourself about your body about your life it's the lack of motivation it's the not wanting to get out of bed it's the not eating you know or like eating things that you know aren't going to fulfill you like it's a lot of other things that I was experiencing and I was talking to my partner about it and I was like my therapist said I have depression and I just think that's really rude of her and they looked at me like they were confused as to how I didn't know that I had depression you know because it's really like they saw it in me before I saw it in myself which is wild you know to me that they like looked at me and my the way I was living my life and they were like hmm I sense the the mental illness is here um, so it was really it was really kind of that which I learned later is kind of like the way a lot of black people respond to hearing that they have like a mental like illness diagnosis you know like we think it's the kind of thing that can't happen to us or we think it's the kind of thing that like only happens to like white people on television you know like it's not something that we can do which I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that like black culture admires strength and we admire we admire our own resiliency when it but like it gets to the point where like we're not taking care of ourselves enough like we're not we're not trying to like base our culture in our joy and in our softness enough I think you know and I think especially it's hard for like black women to like want to want to like embrace their softness and embrace that like we need help because we're so busy trying to like take care of everyone else which I also talked about like with my therapist that same semester she was like I think that like you are putting a lot of things on yourself that and I think you need to like cut yourself a break which is still like something I'm learning to work through in college therapy you know is how to cut yourself a break and that was really kind of like the big part of my depression is that I was like I am and checking the says I am putting a lot of pressure on myself to be better and to do better and to be strong and I am like repressing a lot of my emotions as a result and it's like affecting a bunch of other parts of my life and especially like my my junior year which is like which honestly was like the worst year of my life because I I was suicidal I did have a lot of suicidal ideation and I was like calling my mom every week and I um I scared a lot of people <laughs> in my life that year you know and it was really like a a wake-up call to me that I needed to like take better care of myself and I needed to like actually do something and like I'm on a depression medication right now um and it's been helping a lot like with um with like my motivation to like do things and I think I might cry thinking about this but um but yeah like I I don't know I'm kind of like I wish that I I kind of lived in a world that kind of valued my softness in a way that I don't think I do currently you know like I think I am I think I have been taught to be strong I think I have been taught 
to that like my problems are like house business you know and then I don't I shouldn't talk about those issues with someone else when really it's like I very much needed to talk to about these problems like way before now before it got to the point of my junior year where I'm like I can't find like solace in anything I can't find a reason to keep living you know and like you know obviously I'm here and I've like I've worked through a lot of those issues definitely not all of them but I've worked through a lot of them and I went to a psychiatrist and I got medication and I you know I try to like do things to keep myself like from despairing but it definitely is hard when you have been brought up in a culture that doesn't really um admire openness about your emotions I don't know if that's like your experience with black culture but it kind of has been mine you know yeah no I think you make a really good point because um in our community when we like view mental health services as something that like is not for us I think it really comes down to like um what those communities prioritize and I think you hit it like right on the head but then it's also like you have to think about like like low-income black communities it's like I have to take care of all of these things to survive right like food water shelter taking my kids to school getting to work however I do that and there's I think the idea is like there's just not even time to prioritize your mental health right Um, like there just yeah isn't yeah. I mean there there is. We should um you know there are resources out there and things like that, but I think we should um I don't know how we would do that. I don't know how to move towards destigmatizing um conversations about mental health. Towards destigmatizing um conversations about mental health. Right. It's also just kind of like I think medical fields have been kind of hostile to black people since like forever so I think there is like also just like a general distrust of medicine in black culture also and so it's like you're not going to like seek out a doctor if like historically doctors have been hostile to you you know like I I'm a black woman and I've been and I've been I'm um you know chronically ill and so like I've had a lot of really bad experiences with medical doctors. And so who's to say that like your therapist isn't going to be racist to you, you know? And so part of like the destigmatization of like mental health is really kind of understanding that like mental health is first and foremost, like a human problem, you know, like it doesn't, it's, it's, it's kind of outside of race, you know, um, in that way. And also I think it's kind of like black people realizing that like, we don't, it is not our job to be strong all the time, you know, that like, I think we really need to get into the space where we're like, listen, sometimes you do need outside help. Sometimes some things aren't only house business, you know, and like, sometimes you got to like, take the time to like, work on you, even if that's like in ways that are outside of like seeing a doctor, you know, like you have to work on things that are going to like make you feel good and also like kind of like address the fact that like you have trauma which is a big thing for me too is I'll go to therapy and I'll say something a little traumatic my therapist will be like oh let's let's you know let's backtrack on that and I'll be like what do you mean that just happened to me that's not a a trauma but then like upon talking about it I'm like oh yes 
yes that was traumatic let's work through that you know so I think it's also like about realizing that like trauma a trauma happens to us and happens all the time because like racism is a trauma and um it is the kind of thing that you can and probably do need help for um because also okay so I was reading a New York Times article um about from a, and there's a quote from a professor at San Jose State University who gave a TEDx talk on black mental health in 2018 and he says I was socialized in a way that I thought I was healthy but it was preluding me from dealing with mental health for what it was for what it truly was and and the great impact that it had he said that uh black parents often have have tough conversations with fairly young children about police brutality and racism he says we were raised to believe that we had to walk outside with a tough skin at all times to survive in the world which is honestly true like that's really just it we were I think black households are prepped for like here's what to do when someone calls you the n-word here's how to like not get shot by, by, by a police officer but we definitely aren't equipped to be like here's what to tell your kid when they tell you that they want to kill themselves you know or they or when they tell you that they're just kind of having a really rough like mental health time you know that's something that like me and my mom definitely had like several conversations about when I was starting to have like a lot of like um suicidal thoughts is like I don't think she knew what to do with me and I you know thank god that she like talked to some parents and they were like oh here's a doctor that I go to um and they like recommend my psychiatrist to her but like not everyone has that access you know because also it's like I have insurance you know like I can get to a doctor I have a parent who like you know had the resources to like talk to me about my mental health and like formed an open environment for me with which to talk to her like a lot of people don't have that that's I think the sad truth so it's like on two levels you know like there are things that we have to do on like levels first like these stigmatizing mental health conversations surrounding mental health symptoms of um you know possible mental illnesses but then like there's another level of access because like I said like resources are there but I think um I think it's a matter of like accessibility and also like visibility as well so it's like if you're not seeing black people people that look like you embracing their softness like you said you know embracing their um their own mental health journeys being like open and vulnerable about that then I think um that could make that um process a lot harder for people Right. Like I, I I don't know. I was called a cry baby throughout my childhood, you know, whenever I like had tough emotions. And I think like, especially for like black, honestly, like men in general, but I think like, especially like black men, like they're taught to like toughen up, you know, that they have to be quote unquote, like a man, you know, and they're not allowed to really have complex emotions about themselves, you know? And I, and I think it's like, and like black women are taught that we have to kind of we like pick up the slack um from everyone else and that we kind of have to be strong for our communities and that's just not really it's not viable all the time you know and i think it's very much about like seeing people in the world who are who look like you and are having are having your struggles also i totally i totally agree with that also the amount of trauma black people go through you know adds is an added factor in the ways that we deal with mental health. So in a Huffington Post article, Dr. Miriam 
Jernigan Noesi, who is a psychologist who studied at Boston College Institute for the Study and Promotion of Race and Culture, said, "Mm, so it's not just me in my lifetime and what I've experienced. It's the stories you've heard from family members. It's It's witnessing that of colleagues or peers, and now with social media and online mechanisms of folks sharing videos, it's also witnessing things that you may not experience directly, Um, which I think is like an interesting point that kind of like kind of drives home what we've really been saying the, the whole episode. So like racial trauma is a huge issue as the side effects of that are the same as like PTSD, such as heightened anxiety, depression, lack of sleep, flashbacks. And um, other, you know, really distressing things. Yeah, like, I honestly, okay, I don't know about you, but personally for me, like, this summer was hard. It was rough. I went through, like, a major depressive episode, like, this summer, just because it's like, it's like everywhere you look, like, someone you were reading a story about a black person who had died or was being beaten up or was incre- or like severely injured um, because of the police and there were just people online were being incredibly cruel, you know? Like, it's just, it was just really rough for me. Um, and I was trying to be okay, but like, I really wasn't okay. And <laughs> there is like a huge trauma in watching someone with your body and your face and your skin like die or be brutalized over and over again and it's just people were like also like you know it's kind of i said the summer is when like a lot of like white people especially realize that like how big an issue racism really is because they were like looking at their black friends and colleagues to like comfort them about this realization and it's kind of like i live in the skin every day like i i can't comfort you because no one's ever comforted me about it you know like it's like i can't i don't know what to tell you about how to deal with racism because i i don't know myself you know like i'm just living and experiencing racism and so it's kind of like your black colleagues and your black friends and your black family members they're not okay they're just coping as best they can but they're also like not encyclopedias like they're not they don't exist in your life to like educate you on on everything that you know all of the nuances of structural or institutionalized racism you know and i think i can totally relate um because this past summer i literally had to like stop going on social media because it was so like infuriating not even you know i was affected by seeing like these visceral images of trauma and death like that was definitely very, um, you know, that definitely affected me. But I think what got me even more was just, like, seeing people try to justify that behavior. And, like, you you know, people commenting on things like that. Um, right. As if, as if this, like, is not a systemic issue and, you know, regurgitating alternative facts also, trying to justify, like, police brutality. And it's like, no, I... I don't think George Floyd deserved to be strangled to death by a cop. I'm so sorry. I don't know how you can spin that in your favor. Um, right. It's just, you know, people, like, how cool do you have to be? It's really a question. 
it just I and I hate it so much because I was like paragraph. You know what I'm talking about? Like somebody who I don't know. They'll post their whole like dissertation in the comment section on Instagram, oh, like God. trying to convince me that racism is not real or some something stupid. <laughs> and it's like that really to me was very infuriating because it was like no, all of the evidence is like right here, like example after example, like life after life of really showcasing the flaws like in the system that we have so much blind faith in. And so I was like, how could you? Right. Like, let's put that out there. Let's put that out there that like, when you ask a black person to like, explain to you why black lives matter and like, why we're so angry about it. Like, please realize that like, you are also explaining to, you also are asking that black person to explain why they deserve to live. Like, that's what that question means. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's rooted in slavery. <laughs> and nobody oh, wants to, you know, everybody gets upset when you like try to take it back that far. But it's like, no, it's quite literally rooted in slavery. Like, right. we, like, you know, it just doesn't even make sense to me. Right. We're going to have to say some of that for our episode about BLM and how we got here. But um, but yeah, like, no, like that, those experiences, like, just kind of would kick a toll on anybody, you know? Like, I think, especially, like, given the current pandemic, people were already feeling, like, lonely and isolated because we spent, like, several months and weeks um inside and then like you turn on you go on instagram or you turn on the news and you realize that like not only could you die of this pandemic but you could just die like in your bed asleep um like brianna taylor or you could just be jogging like ahmaud arbery was or you could be you could die in any other like mundane for mundane activities like so many people have and i think that realization is is really hard you know like i like even more recently with when jacob blake was shot like like he's still alive but it was still like depressing me (laughs) because like you know he was just like he just got pulled over you know and he was shot seven times and like they were or and i was talking to my therapist about it and i was like i just feel like no one cares about my life, you know, like in a very like real way. Like I, I don't, I feel like no one cares about what happens to my body because people will always, people on the internet were like finding ways to say that like these incidents didn't matter or that they were like a one-off thing when it's like, well, considering we spent the whole summer talking only about these instances and there are just like, there's over, honestly, I think the fact that there is more than one is already too many. Like, that's just really what it is. And so it was just, it's like, no, like, who wouldn't be, who wouldn't be going through it if, like, you're, there are, like, so many, there's, like, so many things going on in your life, you know? Like, you're trying to deal with the pandemic, and then racism exists, and then maybe you're, like, living below the poverty line, and then you're trying to just, like, feed yourself, but also, like, again, the pandemic exists, you can't, so it's really difficult to do that also. And so there, I think, like, there are just so many things happening that it's no wonder that people that like you know we have these stats of black people especially like black teenagers experiencing heightened um 
heightened feeling like depression and anxiety because also it's like you don't get to stop being black like you can be black your whole life you can be living in the skin your whole life so that means all these problems of racism and disenfranchisement are going to be with you for as long as you draw breath and so it's also just kind of like you can't run from that in a way you can run from that and so I think that's like also that's definitely adding to these feelings of like hopelessness I think I think it's about allowing yourself to be vulnerable, you know, giving yourself a break. We did, like you said, we don't get to stop. <laughs> All we have to do is live, stay black, and die at the end of the day. So we don't really get to decide. I live by that. <laughs> Period. <laughs> I, no, like for real, for real. Like things happen to me, and like things are like overwhelming. <laughs> and I'll be like, honestly, or like someone will like mention something to me. They're like, oh my god, you should have done this thing, or you should be out here doing X Y Z thing. And I'm like, listen, the only thing I have to do is stay black and die. <laughs> those are the only two. Those are my only two objectives. And I'm out here being black, and I don't plan on dying until I am old in my bed. So. <laughs> And so with all this in mind, we have to ask ourselves, what do we do about it? Um, I talked with a therapist over the summer in an article that I wrote about, about racial trauma. And she told me that she gave her clients assignments and encouraged them, encouraged them to learn more about the history of racism in the U.S. so that maybe they wouldn't feel helpless or at fault for experiencing this. Her idea was just kind of that maybe if they knew more about the history, they wouldn't feel like... They had to take care of it themselves and realize that this is a long-standing problem and that they are just kind of one person in the myriad of this long-standing problem. Um, so I also encourage all of our white listeners or all of our non-black listeners to lean less on your black friends and coworkers and lean more on Google and books. <laughs> so there's the Calm Harm app. That's like a, I can't say that five times fast. Calm Harm is an award-winning app developed for teenage mental health charity STEM4 by Dr. Nihara Kraus, consultant, clinical psychologist, using the basic principles of an evidence-based therapy called dialectical behavioral therapy. So you can personalize the app and even set a password to keep your information safe. And so it's meant to help its users work through their urges for self-harm in a way that doesn't hurt themselves or others. Yes, and there are also people in orgs that you can follow, such as Brown Girl Self Care on Instagram, with the mission to help Black women healing from trauma go from every once in a while self care to everyday self care. This feed features tons of affirmations and self care reminders that might help you feel a bit better. There's also Black Mental Wellness on Instagram, which was founded by a team of Black psychologists. This organization offers a ton of mental health insight through posts about everything from destigmatizing therapy to talking about black men's mental health to practicing gratitude to coping with anxiety i'm also going to be linking an article by self um in the show notes that lists these orgs that i've mentioned as well as other people to check out also if you're thinking about harming yourself and you need immediate support reach out to free resources that are available 24 7 like the national suicide prevention lifeline at 800-273-8255 and the crisis text line text home to 741741 
Yeah. Um, shout out to Keith from the Carthage Text Line. Um, we talked last year and I honestly think you're probably one of the reasons that I'm still here today. Um, I hope that if you hear this, you are having the best day and that I am in fact kicking this world's ass every day. That's a wrap for our, this week's episode. Aaliyah, where can our listeners find you? I am at It's Aaliyah Dorsey on Twitter and Instagram now. Um, that's I-T-S-A-L-I-Y-A-H-D-O-R-S-E-Y on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Yasmin, where can our listeners find you? You can follow me on Instagram at Yasmin underscore S-A. And as always, please follow us at Black Girl Tea Party on Instagram and search Black Girl Tea Party at Black Girl Tea Time on Twitter to stay up to date with episodes, you know, learn a little bit more about us, DM us and tell us about your day. <laughs> also, please subscribe. We are available on eight and at least five platforms. So please subscribe so that other people can find our podcast. Also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts specifically so that more people can find our show. Yes, you can also send us an email at blackgirlteaparty at gmail.com. Send us questions, ask for advice, tell us how much you love the show. Don't tell us if you don't like the show, but we would love to hear from you. (laughs) And once again, thanks for listening. I know this episode was really heavy. Um, If you are having mental health issues, please be soft with yourself and just take some time to assess your feelings. You know, get some help if you need it. Take a bath, you know. Take a nap. Do what you need to do. Be gentle. Do. Be gentle with yourself. Be gentle with yourself and know that we love you and we support you. Um, and just remember, as always, love often and with all your heart. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>